0: Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today Thanks for having me So tell me a little bit about how you came to Japan in the first place
1: Yeah, to be honest, it was a random email that got me here So I was doing my PhD in London, uh, in the UK And during the time, I just saw a random email advertising a three-month research position at Tokyo University and I didn't really plan to go to Japan before, but I thought, oh, Tokyo sounds cool. So I applied for the position and I ended up getting it. And I came to Tokyo University for those three months. And even though academically it wasn't the most useful time I spent at Tokyo University, I loved Japan or I loved Tokyo so much at the time that then I applied for another one year uh, postdoctoral fellowship and I got it and I came back to Japan for that. And basically ever since I've been in Japan, so that was seven years ago
0: oh wow so what was the subject of your research then so was that um connected to the ai stuff that you're doing now
1: no before that i was actually a physicist so i was working on quantum physics uh especially kind of quantum information theory. So people might know it from quantum computing and cryptography, but I was working on a subfield called quantum thermodynamics, which kind of studies how do you convert heat into useful energy? So essentially engines, but at the quantum level, so at the really, really microscopic scale, like how do you build an engine within a single atom, for example? That's the kind of things that we studied. And then you also go into kind of what is time or how does time work at the quantum scale? Because it's kind of in the name thermodynamics. Dynamics means something's moving so you need to have a notion of time and an engine that doesn't move or doesn't change over time isn't really useful so we also studied okay how does time behave at the quantum level and how does that interact with energy and those kind of things.
0: That's fascinating how did that um, the work that you did at Tokyo University you said it wasn't the most useful time in terms of research but um, what have you been doing since then is that something that has helped you to kind of kickstart your career in Japan or are you (laughs) kind of working remotely doing your own thing?
1: Yeah, it's not really related to uh, anything that I'm doing now to my PhD or any of the research I've done, but basically already doing my PhD when I was still in London, I realized I enjoy research, but I actually enjoy building products much more. I started my first company there, kind of an AI a smart cooking app essentially just kind of as a side business while doing my phd and i really realized i love kind of the entrepreneurship the startup side of things and while i enjoyed my physics research i want to do something much more applied and much more practical so i was basically thinking where can i use my math skills in the real world to solve interesting problems and ai and deep learning was just about kind of emerging or kind of like really having this renaissance at the time and i don't know when was that Yeah, about seven years ago or so, Uh, so I decided to switch kind of from very theoretical physics research to much more applied AI research and at the end of my postdoctoral fellowship in uh, Tokyo University, I then joined an AI startup here in Tokyo and that's kind of how I kicked off my career in AI. How
0: was that working at a, an AI startup in Japan? Was it more of a Japanese context or was it uh, a lot of foreigners working as a, as a startup there? How, what was the sort of working situation like?
1: Yeah, it was quite interesting. Um, it was a Japanese company, but we were very international. So on the research and engineering side, it was basically a hundred percent foreigners. Uh, the sales side was almost 100% Japanese. And I've seen that in a lot of kind of tech companies in Japan kind of play out in this configuration, especially in the smaller companies where engineering and tech is very foreign, uh, foreigner based and all the sales and kind of marketing and that is very Japanese and It actually worked surprisingly well. I mean, there definitely were friction points, um, but I've seen it much worse in other places. So it did work quite well in that particular company, I think.
0: Yeah, I think I've seen that as well, because um, the the sales part, even if you can speak Japanese really well, I think it's very hard to sell really to Japanese to. companies if you're not a sort of native level speaker of Japanese and if you Absolutely. don't really understand all of the sort of cultural context of doing yeah. business here, I think it can be very difficult. Um, but I wonder if that also the the fact that all of the um, the research team and the engineering side is uh, mostly international. I've seen that at quite a few companies. Why do you think that is? And does that mean that there's a lot of opportunities for people who want to come to Japan to work in sort of AI or technology Mm. companies?
1: I think it's changing now a little bit. Like that whole landscape is evolving so quickly. Basically, when I got into it, there were no people with AI background. Like, a very very small number of people but basically all the people who went into this field came from math came from physics came from engineering of various types uh, but it's become so hot that now like university offer deep learning courses ai focus course and people are now graduating with that kind of background so i think that's changed the landscape quite a bit but i still think even now within japan um to be honest the level of engineering graduates or kind of Japanese engineers, software engineers, is very low compared to other places in the world. I don't know what it is, but somehow engineering or software is not that attractive here to Japanese uh, students. Again, it might be changing now. I'm not so sure about the situation now compared to then. Um, But the level internationally in AI and deep learning is definitely much, much higher than what's going on here in Japan.
0: Yeah, I've heard that there is a bit of a, uh, a skills gap. I interviewed a guy mm. called Cameron uh, who works at a um, recruitment company and he said that they get a lot more money for recruiting people in technology in Japan because there is a massive mm. skills gap. And yeah. uh, part of that I think um, in my experience and talking with people who have worked at technology companies, part of the problem is that um, engineers aren't expected to be um, sort of full stack engineers in Japan. Mm. Uh, which is kind of, is more common in the United States, where it's like, you should be uh, coding language um, agnostic, right? Like, you should be Mm. able to use whichever coding language is most useful for the application that you're using. But in Japan, I think a lot of people get trained on what coding language the company uses, and not even just the language, they would get trained on a specific part of it. And I wonder if that's a way Mm. for the company to maintain some control over their workers so that their workers can't as easily be poached. By other software companies, right. and I've, I've um, I met someone who worked for a printer company, and they they said I'm a uh, an engineer, but I really only work on this specific part of printer uh, coding. And that means that if another company wanted to poach them, they wouldn't really necessarily have the skills to work at the new no. company if it was not a you know very exact match for like the printer company that they're currently working for. So um, I wonder if that sort of desire to maintain uh, control over their engineers means that um, it's very difficult for them to hire engineers in general because there aren't that many people with skills. But, you know, that doesn't mean that there's a lot of great opportunities for international people who do have those engineering skills to come to Japan and get, you know, pretty, pretty good jobs where they get to do a lot of interesting things. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So from there, you said that you started your own businesses before and you got interested in the entrepreneur space. So what have you been working on recently? That's something uh, I, I saw on your website, you were doing some stuff in music and some other things. So tell us a bit about that
1: yeah exactly it has been kind of a long winding road to where i am right now and it's been many different things in between so after i was working at that ai startup which was very much focused on business applications of ai so i was working on natural language processing and our biggest client for the product that i was working on was numura securities a big financial institution looking for large amounts of text and for various reasons, I decided to kind of shift uh, to a different company. A friend of mine, had he's been running a small creative studio for now 15 years. So it's not really a startup, but it's basically a team of like seven to 10 people, depending on who you count, who work on computational creativity. So using AI in design art and music, basically. And he had been asking me for a long time, hey, Max, don't you want to join? Don't you want to join? And at some point when I was a little bit fed up in that particular kind of AI for business company, I decided, okay, now it's time to switch over. And I had an interest in music for quite a long time. So I've been producing on the side. And then I just thought, okay, it makes sense to combine uh, my skills in AI and my interest in music to work on that. And we were doing lots of different projects. So we were doing commercial projects, of course. uh, That's what paid the bills. For example, there's a company here in Japan called Yusen they're kind of like Spotify but only targeting commercial spaces so whenever you walk into a restaurant in Japan or a, basically any retail place the background music you hear is almost guaranteed to come from Yusen. and we developed an AI system for them that takes into account what's the time of day right now, what's the weather at the moment what's the season and uses all this real-time information to give better music suggestion and create better like live playlists so those kind of things but we're also working on purely artistic projects so working with performers and artists to put on stage performances, collaboration with AI and human. Like one of our flagship projects, uh, which they're still running now is called AI DJ, which was a back-to-back performance human playing a song, mixing it, then AI taking over, mixing the song, and these kind of things. Uh, And from there, like, yeah, I eventually wanted to kind of get back into more product development things again, and I also had a big interest in kind of self-development and biohacking, for lack of a better term, and understanding my own physiology. So two years ago, I think now, I decided again, okay, can I combine my background in AI, in music, and this interest in biohacking to start my own business, um, trying to use bio data, so biometric data, for example, heart rate data, sending that to an AI system that then generates music, soundscapes in real time based on that data to then feed back into my biology essentially and create this human AI kind of biofeedback loop that for example, helps getting deeper into meditative states or using it during breathing exercises. Uh, I could potentially also be used during exercise to get you in particular target states because we actually react quite strongly to audio stimuli. So using that and having a learning system that really adapts to you and your physiology in the moment. And that's kind of what I've been working on for a while. And very recently I joined um, a new project called Woven City. So it's funded by Toyota and we're essentially building a city from scratch at the base of Mount Fuji. Uh, and I'm part of the healthcare team there. So again, kind of bringing some of this biotech uh, aspects to that, and really using this smart city as a test course for these new future technologies.
0: Wow, that's really that's a lot of uh, really incredible, interesting work that you're doing. Um, so the the music one is called Udemon, is that right?
1: Udemon, exactly. Yeah,
0: so I saw that on your website, and it looked really like a, an interesting application of uh, sort of. Um, machine learning and AI because I think a lot of people think of these things um, like AI replacing human work. That's Mm. probably the most common story that you hear about in the media about uh, AI. It's always about, you know, these jobs are going to disappear, these jobs are going to disappear. But I'm much more interested in how it's going to support people in not only in their health like you' like you're doing yeah. but you know in all kinds of different applications. So what was the motivation behind that you said that you were interested in sort of self-improvement and uh, self-mastery and all of that. Um, was that something that kind of just led you into thinking this or was this because of your music background? like you know what kind of made you think that was a, a company worth starting that could be useful for other people?
1: Mm, I think there are a lot of different things that led to that, but kind of going back to your point of like how AI is being portrayed as replacing humans, kind of costing us our jobs. I have very strong opinions on that. And Mm. actually one thing I didn't mention in this like background, I also published a book in 2020 about the importance of time off and why rest is actually a skill that should be learned and is very critical in the future of work. And one of the key themes that we're talking about there is Thinking about the future of work, currently so many people pride themselves in being busy and are kind of confusing busyness with productivity. And yes, I agree, AI will disrupt the job landscape, but the jobs that will disappear the quickest are those that are built on busyness, right? So if you currently pride yourself in your busyness and you think that's kind of what sets you apart, then good luck in the future. Uh, I mean, it sounds very harsh, but it's also I think an opportunity because AI, you might hear different things, but it's not going to anytime soon replace our creative ability. It's an amazing tool for creators, but it's not gonna replace creators. And the same is with empathy, for example. So I think if people use it in the right way, it actually opens us up to really uh, focus much more on these creative and empathetic pursuits and these things that really really make us human so yes it will change the job landscape but I think we'll also create a lot of new jobs and a lot of opportunities especially for people who kind of focus on I guess what's currently more termed soft skills in many ways uh, so I have very strong opinions on that point as well and I guess it then ties a little bit into kind of what I'm doing with Udemon as well because It's really trying to enable people to tap into sort of more this creative side of themselves and actually also building on this idea of a rest ethic. Uh, Really, I guess everyone is familiar with the idea of a work ethic, but I strongly believe that we need to supplement that work ethic with an equally strong rest ethic. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of research on creativity and the creative process, and it's commonly broken down into four phases. So you have preparation, incubation, illumination and verification. Preparation means you actually sit down and do the hard work. You understand the problem. You really get to know the material. But then comes incubation. You actually have to take a step back and let your subconscious mind do some of the work. Uh, Then illumination is like the stereotypical aha moment. And then verification, again, you kind of do the actual work and make sure that your insight was actually all that brilliant. But half of the creative process happens during time off and it happens during high quality time off, not distractedly scrolling on your phone, but it's really this quality downtime. This could look different things. It could be a hike out in nature. It could be like a meditation session or like some deep breathing session. But again, there's this element of creativity combined with the element of rest and detachment. And I guess all these different backgrounds uh, sort of led me to believe that this is the right direction to go into. And biofeedback in general has really seen really a renaissance recently. It's been around for a long time, that concept, but over the last five years or so, it's really taken off in the elite performance community. So both professional athletes, but also elite performers in the business space have been using biofeedback. And now with wearable technology becoming more and more available, I think it's time to kind of open it up to the masses. And I thought bringing in that music aspect is something unique I can contribute to it, which no one else has done. And it also solves sort of the retention problem. Like meditation app, everyone knows it's useful or most people know it's useful. Uh, all kind of well-being apps, you know it's good for you. But sticking to it day by day and following through, it's really difficult. Retention is super low for these apps. So Mm -hmm. I thought, can I bring this musical element to not only make the protocol actually more effective, but also make it more engaging? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that was the thinking behind that.
0: Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the conversation, and I just want to take a quick moment to mention that this podcast is only possible because of the support of jobsinjapan.com. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com. There are tons of jobs on there, not only in English teaching, but also software engineering, hospitality, marketing and consulting, among many others. Most of the jobs on the board do not require any specific level of Japanese, and you can get started in minutes. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com, and let's get back to the conversation. It's so interesting that you say that because there are a lot of um uh, not only research in sort of uh, physiology stuff but also like you said at the high performance elite athlete yep. level I, I think i read an article about this called um the courage to rest or something like that mm. and it was about how many athletes the in the sort of weeks before they have a big race or something, many of them actually do go to like a mountain or something and take some time off. They're not running as hard. They're not like pushing themselves as hard. And then when they come back to it, actually they're they're fully rested up. And I think we never let ourselves rest. Or, you know, we often, even our holidays are too short, like the, the sort of it's two weeks off. I think, I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think it's a good way to yeah. work. I think we often need, um, you know, a good few months or something where we're doing something yeah. different so that when we do come back to our work we can perform at a much higher level because we've actually had that time to go oh actually I really you know disconnecting from it means I really love this thing I really find this interesting again as opposed to just doing it every day and then getting kind of sick of it. Um yeah. So I'm curious uh as to what you think about how this is progressing technologically in Japan as opposed to other countries because I can see you know, having moved back to the UK recently, how many things are very different in terms of what mm-hmm. technology is used. So in Japan, I, I've I've always thought it's a bit strange it's such a cash based society and mm-hmm. how cash is still, you know, most places I would say um, only accept cash. And if they do accept credit cards or, or like now pay pay and things like that. Um, It it just seems like it's a lot more clunky, a lot slower, whereas here where I'm at in England, everywhere except cashless credit cards, you just beep and you pay and it's done. And it's so fast. So um, how is that progressing in Japan in terms of using technology to kind of remove friction from day to day life?
1: Mm, That's a really great question. Uh, I totally agree. Japan is very unique in that way. And like having worked in the Japanese tech industry as well, It's strange because there is so much legacy stuff still around, like finance in particular is terrible in Japan, like, if you've ever dealt with Japanese banks, it feels like, I don't know, 30, 40 years back, they shut down over the weekend, oh sorry, you can't get to your cash because we're doing maintenance or something, it's really bad, also, most companies still use fax as a very, very, like, common means for communication there's so many things like that yeah sorry In to other interrupt areas. Quickly,
0: but um <laughs> i think when um i don't know if you remember before i think now it's prime minister kishida and uh, before him there was um uh, i'm trying to remember the guy's name who was running for prime minister and he had suggested he, he was the the favorite to win um i'm trying to remember his name now but i'm, I'm bad with names but he um he had uh, you know, got a lot of people saying that they would vote for him, and then he said, uh, "We're going to modernize Japan. We're going to get rid of fax machines in the Japanese uh, um, <laughs> government uh, companies." And immediately, he was out of the running, and like he lost all of his support, and he's he's. Uh, you know, not been heard from since kind of thing, you know, and they um yeah. and they went, they looked for the next guy. And I think that's the thing, is that there is a lot of resistance to modernization, and totally. there are good parts of that as well in terms of, uh, as a foreigner in Japan, um, you know, not having all of these sort of computer systems for sort of immigration, it might seem like, okay, why, why can't I do this online, why is this so complicated, but it does give you a lot more leeway in the sort of uh, the things that you can do as a foreigner in Japan and not get you know picked up on immediately, uh, you, you, I, I'm very <laughs> I'm really lucky. I want to come back to Japan to visit, you know, and I'm I'm yeah. glad that um, when I left Japan, a lot of the stuff is just on paper and it was just very easy mm. for me to just file those papers and be like, okay, I don't need to think about this again, I don't need to worry about it, um, and then I can if I come back to Japan, if there were, you know if I made any mistakes, I can probably just you know, go to the office and, and uh, chat with them or or fix it when I come back to Japan, as opposed yeah. to, you know, getting flagged at security at the airport or something like, oh, you messed up your tax forms, t- you know, two years ago when you left Japan, you're in deep trouble, you know, so um, I think there are some sort of like, uh, Obviously, I would want to have it modernized if it was my country, but you kind of want a government that's not particularly organized. You know, it's an organized government is a, is a lot more of a pain in the butt, I think.
1: Yeah, although on the tech side, I've also heard like horror stories. So it's good to hear that it's been going well for you so far. But also on the politics side, I don't think I'm making that up. I remember one of the former ministers for cybersecurity or something like that uh, came a, out you know. saying he's never used a computer before because <laughs> why would he his secretary does that for him. So that kind of tells you a little bit about the level of tech literacy in those places here in Japan. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um. I. I. Maybe let's not get too much into that because we could. Uh, I don't want to get negative about the Japanese yeah. political landscape. But yeah, there is a lot of. Um. Sort of. I think maybe just fear of change, and I think that's quite common in conservative mm. countries like Japan anyway. Because, um. You know, sometimes change can be very good. There's a lot of things that you can change to make them better. But I think change in general, if you look at it from a sort of evolutionary perspective, um most change is bad. Almost all change is bad, really. It's very difficult to get things right. And so once you have something like in Japan where they have these systems and structures that that, you know, maybe they don't work perfectly, they could be improved, but they work, right? They, mm. They're they functional. And uh, getting something that's functional when you change things is actually incredibly complicated and difficult and, and can be very expensive. And so yeah. I think um, changing things slowly in many situations can be a good thing um
1: yeah i think also here in japan japan is extremely good at manufacturing very good at hardware and that's kind of more like sort of like in software kind of in this you call it waterfall process you kind of go through one step at a time you kind of need everyone's approval to kind of go to the next step it very much suits japanese sort of like mentality thinking uh so japan like japanese industry is really really good at that but software on the other hand uh, the sort of more agile work style only now starting to wake up to it and i think it's kind of correlating also with this change like this these things we're talking about they require sort of more of the software mindset of kind of software updates and i think japan is just still lagging a little bit behind on that side and it's just not so well suited to sort of the more traditional japanese mentality maybe
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned before: is that you started a book about it uh, called "Time Off." And um, I'm really curious what you think about um, that, especially living in Japan, where people Mm. tend not to take that much time off and the government keeps on having to make new national holidays to force workers to take a day off work. Um, What do you think about how that's worked for you in terms of, you know, have you taken long term sabbaticals to kind of have time off? You talked about meditation and the music uh, scene for, for meditation stuff as well. Are these all things that have kind of come out of writing that book or you know, come uh, before writing that book things that have actually helped you with your work
1: yeah so again it's kind of quite a winding journey but while i was still doing my phd i was extremely lucky with the people i was working with at imperial college in london just my professors i basically had like three years where at the end I had to present my PhD thesis, but in between I could do whatever I wanted. And I could literally disappear from the country for months without asking anyone for permission. And I didn't realize how good I had it at that time, but it was an extremely productive period. And then afterwards I went into this AI startup, I suddenly realized, wait, something's wrong. I'm busy all the time, but I'm not feeling productive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what kicked off this thinking process for me. But again, afterwards, after I joined kind of my friend's company's creative AI studio, um, it was a more relaxed pace because we were, yeah, we're doing commercial work, but we're also kind of artists. And I think artists have much more of the sense that you do need sort of this kind of creative input, as time for wonder and time for awe as well. And then I've been working my own business. And I've been kind of freelancing as well. So I always made sure that I have these deliberate phases of time off baked into my working life. And I know even though it's hard to do that, like, as you said earlier, we're really bad at that. We kind of have this sense of guilt, but I know, it's actually in the long-term productive. I need that time to do effective work. So yeah, I always made sure to kind of have that built into it. But like coming back to sort of the Japan theme, um, it is very difficult here. I've been speaking, so after the book got published, I've been doing consulting around this topic as well. I've been mainly working with international companies, companies like Twitter, GitLab, coming into like their businesses, speaking with leaders, speaking with employees, and helping them with this time off topic speaking to japanese companies i've tried it a few times but it's very very hard it's very hard to kind of get leaders to understand or get the buy-in and even if they do even if they kind of conceptually understand it what we've seen time and time again if leadership doesn't model the right behavior any initiative is almost useless and here in japan it's really difficult even if a leader kind of conceptually understands and actually wants you to come in and spread that message They often don't model the right behavior and then i think japanese are even have more strong kind of feeling oh i need to be the last one to leave the office i need Mm. to kind of if my boss does this i need to do at least that if not more so i think we really need to change kind of how leadership is thinking and i like that you mentioned athletes earlier as well an important part of an athlete's coach's job is actually to make sure that they're well rested Mm -hmm. making sure that they get enough training is one part but the rest getting enough sleep getting enough downtime um, all of that is actually just as much the coach's job whenever i talk to business leaders i kind of try and compare it like uh, that to their job to like the job of a coach as well because if you're leading a team of knowledge workers you should treat them like pro athletes and one of your jobs is to make sure that they get enough downtime so they can perform when they're ready and that's still something I'm still figuring out how to communicate to people here in Japan so the book is actually going to get published in Japanese next year I hope it's going to have an impact but it's still something I struggle with to communicate it here and it's very quickly you kind of get uh, this sort of response yeah that's great but it would never work in Japan so I still need to figure out how to best approach uh, people here in Japan with this topic.
0: That is very difficult and I think um, you don't change culture overnight but I think you do have a lot of opportunity with people especially I think the younger generation Mm -hmm. they seem to be more open to that like most of my friends are a lot more open to that and I think um, it seems like a, a lot of younger people, and I'm talking about people my age, sort of in their um, early 30s or late 20s, um, are more, maybe, I wouldn't say, um, how would I explain this? It's not selfish. Um, how? Let me think. I think maybe people my age sort of early 30s, late 20s, they're thinking a lot about how they live their lives, they're kind of thinking about their lifestyle a lot more than maybe the older generation, whose only real purpose was like, okay, I'm going to provide for a family, or like, you know, it would be like, the men would be like, I'm going to provide for a family and that's my only job, and I'm going to work 80 hours a week because I'm the wallet of the family, <laughs> and then the the mother's role was like I'm going to look after the children, and that's my only job. And I think people, younger people now, are thinking more about like, well, I want to enjoy my life, and we've you know we've we've got too much stuff anyway. We don't need all this stuff. We don't need all this money. As long as I have enough freedom to go and travel and and do things that I want to do, and I think younger people are definitely doing that a lot more than their their parents' generation. Mm. Um, so I wonder if that kind of thing is changing, but it's more of a generational change than it is a technological change.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree. It's definitely changing. I don't know if it's a generational thing. It's probably partially a generational thing as well. But you kind of mentioned it as well earlier, I think the government is also trying to actually implement things and force companies almost to do something about this. I mean, there were cases like that Dentsu case, uh, the suicide uh, couple of uh, quite a few years back already and the government really it started to like try and implement very strong initiatives but I think over the course of the pandemic even more so I mean we've seen this globally sort of mental health and well-being are suddenly at the forefront of everyone's thinking and I think also Japan is slowly waking up to that so well-being is complete buzzword here in Japan at the moment you see it thrown around everywhere mental health I think in Japan was so extremely stigmatized. No one would ever talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's still nowhere near as openly discussed as it is in other places around the world. But still, slowly, I think as a result of like the last two years or so, as a result of the pandemic, Japan is becoming a bit more open to discussing these things. So I think we are seeing some shift. I don't know how quick it's going to happen, but it's definitely going in the right direction.
0: Mm, i think so too um i think that's a good place for us to leave this conversation there's so much more i would love to talk with you about but um we'll um, maybe i'll have to bring you back on the podcast another time we can talk more about how much things have changed uh, in between so if yeah. people want to find out more about your book about your music company about your work in ai where can they find out more
1: the book is called time off uh you can find it anywhere you get books uh got a copy line here that's time off the illustrations are by an amazing japanese illustrator maria suzuki so i can highly recommend it just for the illustrations <laughs> and if you want to find out more about anything else just maxfrenzel.com and that will point you to all sorts of links
0: awesome thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me If you enjoyed that episode and you like what we're doing with Inside Japan, please consider going to iTunes and giving us a five-star rating and sharing this episode with a friend who you think it might be useful for. As always, a huge thank you to jobsinjapan.com for sponsoring this podcast. And if you're looking for our other episodes, you can find them there. And keep us in mind next time you're looking for work in Japan. Thanks so much for listening and see you again soon.